It's Song Talk Radio with Michael, Neil, Phil, and the gang. Good evening and welcome to Song Talk Radio. This is the show where we uh, try to become better songwriters by uh, talking to other songwriters. And we all share tips and tricks and things we've figured out along the way. And hopefully at the end of this process, we all become just a little bit better at writing songs. And uh, along with me, as per usual, is um, the dedicated members of the Song Talk Radio Action Team, Mr. Michael Proudfoot. How are you doing? I'm doing uh, quite well. I'm glad to have you back nice and healthy from your Far East location. Yes. Song Talk East yes. headquarters. Yes, I am. Unfortunately, we've lost another member. I know. Uh, Neil is off with a cold. We don't think it's COVID. Now, I did mm-hmm. have COVID. Um, it was um, official and all that, so um, I would not but recommend it. No, but it's not podcast transmissible. Not as By far the way, as we know. <laughs> there's a horror movie called Pontypool, very low budget, and it's the zombie movie, but the virus of, that turns you into a zombie is transmitted verbally. Oh, wow. It's a really cool movie. Uh, it takes place entirely in the uh, radio booth of a DJ as he's figuring out what the hell is going on. What is but it called? I, Pontypool? Oh, Pontypool. It's a, it's a place in Ontario, but it's called Pontypool. P-O-N-T-Y-P-O-O-L. And all it's right. this really, really good horror movie. Very low budget, but clever as all get out. Well, we'll add a, a link to that in the uh, show notes, as we often but do. But don't you worry, listeners, it ain't going to happen to you. You're not going to get COVID by listening to this podcast. Probably not. But if you're out there and while listening to the show and you have some uh, comments or suggestions or any of that kind of stuff, send us an email to feedback at songtalk.ca. That's feedback at songtalk.ca, and um, we will read your message on the show. And uh, we'd love to hear what you think and any of your comments that you might uh, have coming up. Do we so, have any comments today? No, we don't. So, hmm. so get out so there. I noticed we did get another submission for our upcoming Song Talk Challenge. We have an upcoming Song Talk Challenge, which we've kind of been delaying because of various technical issues, but... What we have done this year, we do it every year, is we solicited a title, which was Why Do You Cry? And we three uh, song talk hosts have to write a song each spurred by this title. And we're inviting our audience to do the same. And we've gotten some great submissions so far. So on the next month, we're going to do ours, present our uh, songs, where we've ended up and, and the process by which we got there. And then after that, we're going to feature some of our listeners' songs as well. So there's still time, basically is what I'm telling you, there's still time for you to send in your song. So take the title, Why Do You Cry? See what that spurs in you. And then send in uh, your song, a, a link to a SoundCloud, or send an MP3. Tell us a bit about yourself, and tell us about the journey you went through in writing this song. And, uh, yeah, take it as a challenge. You know, try to, to make that title part of the song. Yes. <laughs> Don't cheat. <laughs> now, and, and the title is, Why Do You Cry? Why do you cry? Yes, why do you cry? Yes. Yeah, so, so it's um, Why Do You Cry? 
So um, use that as inspiration. Before we've had a, what, uh, a repeating chord progression, write that. And before that, we had uh, minor chords, but positive lyrics. So this yeah. is the, the latest one. Start from a title, see what you can come up with. Should be easy. Was it easy? Is it easy for you, Phil? How's it working out? Because um, you don't like lyrics, or you well, find lyrics a challenge, Yeah, right? lyrics are always the last thing. Um, so uh, there's a bit of a, uh, a pull with me, because part of me, I have all these various bits of music that I've been writing, you know, have, you know, verses and chorus, and I haven't done anything with. And I was thinking, well, I could probably use one of these, but then I'm thinking, well, I really should write something that doesn't exist now. So as opposed to just working on some of the various ideas I have going around. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's coming along. I've got the chorus. Um, and I think it's a fairly strong um, chorus. So um, now it's just a question of sitting down doing all the rest of this stuff. All right. Well, you've been ill and you've been busy. You moved. So uh, we've, we've given you, we've built in a bit of time for you. So you'll be the, the last to present. Uh, but I'm very curious to hear what you got. Indeed. All right, let's All move right. on to the, the meat of the matter. All right. And uh, today our guest is Calm Gavin. He is a Dublin-based Irish singer-songwriter currently signed to BEO Records, home of the first lady of Celtic music, Moya Brennan. His first two uh, solo releases, Your Endless Slumber and A Voice for the Urban Darlings, both reached number one in the Irish charts. Singles from his debut album have reached the top ten in notable indie charts in Norway, Australia, USA, Canada, and Japan. His singles are currently playlisted on over 50 stations across the U.S. and Canada. His most recent release, the 1992 tapes, reached number one in the Irish singer-songwriter charts, number four in the pop charts, number 56 in the Billboard 100 in the United States, and number 81 in the Italian uh, pop charts. Uh, he recently gave his inaugural New York City performance in the legendary Berlin Jazz Club on 44th Street, and let's take a bit of a listen to one of his tracks. If there are seven wonders in this world, then you must be the eighth. She said, I only ordered rice. Now it seems there's cheese here on my plate I said I guess that's not the kind of thing That you'd hear on a first date But if I didn't say it now, I never will She had the kind of eyes that poets From Alaska write about That could freeze you with one glance Thank you for being on the show, sir. Pleasure. Absolute well, pleasure, guys. Welcome. Thanks a million. Thank, thanks for staying up late for us. No, listen, don't worry about it. I'm a bit of a night owl anyway. I'm nocturnal at the best of time, so... Uh, I suppose a working Lovely. musician, you'd have to develop that kind of habit. Exactly. Like, what the hell else are you going to do? Morning time gigs and... <laughs> That's true. No. Yeah, morning television gigs are the killers. <laughs> Big, time. Big time. So how did you find yourself um, writing songs? So, Phil, I suppose my introduction to music was, to begin with, primarily academic. So in the Irish school system, 
unless you're going to private school, there isn't the money to have an instrument per student. So if you want to do music, it's going to have to be extracurricular. So for me, I grew up in a town called Clondalkin, which is in South Dublin. And there was a place called the Clondalkin School of Music, which was established in the mid 90s by a guy called Pat Staunton. And his brother, Peter, Peter Stanton, took over in 95, 96. And he was kind of the most established in my town, pretty much because he had the best pedigree in music. He was in the Army Number no. 1 band in Cork and he would have been classically trained and any of the other teachers would have been like one guy with a guitar who taught in his mother's front room and had like three or four after-school students. But this was more like an academy in the official sense of the word. Like he did grades through music and it was all done through the Royal Victoria College of Music in London. And he was the only person that I knew, apart from the Royal Irish Academy, where you could get grades in like piano and guitar and voice and stuff like that. So he kind of ruled the roost with regards teaching where I came from. And he he was an amazing character. He was like something from a Roald Dahl book. He was a Renaissance man through and through, impeccably dressed, the twizzled moustache, great sense of humour, loved Chopin, Brahms, Rachmaninoff, but also, which like for me is my abiding influences, the American and Canadian songwriters of the late 60s, early 70s, and those guys who would have grown up with vaudeville and music hall tunes in the house, the guys like Jim Croce, uh, Loggins and Messina, James Taylor, those kind of guys, they were a huge influence on me. And uh, so this was at what age and, and when did you, so you went to school and studied uh, as an extracurricular activity, you, you took music and then when did you start taking it, I suppose, seriously or make uh, a decision make a that this is what you were going to do as opposed to uh, being a, an academic or you know, a truck driver or a doctor or what have you. For sure. Well, like I started studying music when I was about 12 or 13. And when I was 15 or 16, I, I started to go busking in, in Grafton Street in Dublin. And that was really where it, be, it became, it was the height of the learning curve because you go out and at that time you'd no amplification. So it's just you and the street. So you're trying to bounce your voice off a wall. But when you made money, it was money that you made from music. So like, there's no conduit. It's not like having to go into an office and work for somebody who you don't like for a company that you don't agree with their principles and make money. This is you and your songs or you and the songs that you sing and whatever you get is a gratuity that you get to keep. And that was a huge, that really gave me the bug for it. So I'd say I start really taking it seriously when I was in my late teens, 16 or 17. What's uh, what's your process like these days? Has it changed much since you started or do you kind of approach it the same way? Or I think what I try to avoid as much as possible is writing in front of an instrument because like if it's the piano, which is primarily where I write, your muscle memory just kind of moves back to the same chords and you find yourself just getting into a bit of a tangent. Whereas what I try to do is set myself a task. So let's say I wanted... I typically give myself a task like I want to write something like Neil Sedaka would write, but as if it was for Elvis Costello and then find <laughs> what, what would that sound like? <laughs> or Elvis Costello writing something from Barbara Streisand, what would that sound like? And then I let it cook in my head and then just see, so is it like a tango kind of thing? Is it something more like your typical songwriter ballad or whatever? And that thought process time away from the piano or the guitar 
helps so much, I think, because then when you come to the instrument, you kind of know what you're looking for. Wow. So you're not actually inspired by, you know, like, you know the, the dabbling that you do. You've actually kind of got a fairly clear idea before you actually sit down. Exactly. So, and how that helps, Phil, is that I just, I don't move to the same things over and over again because there's certain chord progressions or there's certain inflections that I'll naturally do if I'm not thinking about it. And then, you know, when you get a batch of five or six new songs and there's something similar in yeah. all of them, and then you've got to weed out, well, which one do I like the most? And then I'll ditch the other ones. So, And has your process or your influences changed over, over the while? I, I think, you know, that expression that if you want to, if you want to write more like who you're inspired by, listen to who they listen to. And I, the great American songbook now more than ever has a huge influence over the kind of things that I write. So George and Ira Gershman, Irving Berlin, um, for a project recently, I had to learn like a lot of wartime tunes. So, um, you know, like Chicory Chick or the old Lamplighter and stuff like that. And it's amazing just breaking down those chord progressions and seeing that something that was written a hundred years ago, isn't all that different from a, from a structural perspective as the stuff that we hear today. What, um, when you were um, taking your training or working, you know, in that academy, did they mm. actually cover songwriting? Oh yeah, big time. So what we would do is take a piece of music, like something by Irving Berlin or Stephen Sondheim, and my teacher Peter would break it down and he'd explain, okay, this is clever because he starts, like his tonic is say A major, but then at some point he uses, he changes from the major to the minor, and moves to another key or whatever. And I just thought like, wow, because I, I, I understand it's compositionally correct, but I didn't understand why. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he'd use like, so Randy Newman, like he takes something like Short People or Sail Away and he'd take you through it. And he was like, well, this is where the Ray Charles influence is. And this is the New Orleans sound when people talk about the New Orleans sound in Randy Newman's music. And so then if you have a discussion like this one, you can actually tread water a little bit because when someone comes out and says oh you that new orleans sound but they don't know what they mean by new orleans sound. Yeah. um so that yeah we had classes like that too it was kind of like songwriting appreciation classes basically what it was like what a great class what a great school yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that sounds fantastic yeah it was good. so once you got out in the wild once you left school what uh I guess when you're uh, working as a musician, how did that change the way you worked? Did you respond more to what people liked and what they didn't like, or did you still kind of follow your North Star and, you know, I want to try this? Um, like Because it sounds like you you approach your songwriting with, uh, not not to be too big about it, but conceptually, like, uh, I want to try this, I want to try that. Did, so how, how did the practical side of being a, a working musician affect your songwriting? It's funny, Michael, because when, when I started, like, like all songwriters, you do the open mics. And the one thing that was consistent with the open mic circuit was this, what I call four chords and heartbreak. Mm -hmm. So you'd get like your typical, you know. And it was just, everything seems to go like that. Whereas I loved Harry Nilsson. I loved like ragtime tunes. I loved like silly throwaway kind of uh, samba type stuff but whereas everybody else like typically men somewhere between 17 and 25 were all just writing these songs about you know 
unrequited love. I loved her. She's gone. She's never coming back kind of thing. And um, I was like, should I be doing more of that? Or, you know, <laughs> so, uh, it was interesting. It was interesting for sure. You know, and when you write those kinds of songs, even though you're very, very sincere in those kinds of emotions, the person you're writing about it doesn't care. And even if they hear it, they won't know it's about them. So you're really just wasting your time. Take that. No, for sure. And I completely agree. Like that's, that's 95% of, of the content, you know, yeah. I can't, I can't live if living's without you. And I'm not, again, I'm not knocking that stuff, but my inclination wasn't to do that. And I thought yeah. there was something wrong with me. I thought like, why, why is everybody else doing this except me? But it was, it was interesting and it, it gave me um, insight that, I understand it better now. Like when I was going to these songwriter nights at 16, 17 years of age, um, I was coming from a much more academic perspective than some of these guys who were maybe self-taught musicians. And you just, you just notice where people iterate towards when they're like, if they're second generation, you notice a difference. Like if someone had a dad who was a blues guitar player, they'll have a much more interesting record collection than the guy who's a first timer, if that makes sense. That makes sense. What, um, do, have you been doing any collaboration with any other songwriters? Yeah, yeah, I do quite a bit. Probably the most prominent collaborator I've had is a guy called Charlie McGettigan. And Charlie in Ireland, he and another guy, Paul Harrington, won the Eurovision Song Contest in 94 with a song called Rock and Roll Kids. And at the beginning of the pandemic, he got in touch with me and he said, look, I like your stuff. He has a radio show too on Shannon Side FM and he used to play a lot of my stuff. And he said, look, I'd love to collaborate with you. And so we would do a song a day for three days a week. And then we amassed, I think we have 65 songs in total. And that's not to say they're all wow. okay songs, like fit for an album. But <laughs> there's about 65. Yeah. It's quantity. It's not quality. Yeah. <laughs> Just get two of them are okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm curious also about your, your lyrical approach, because not just the song that we heard a little snippet off the top, but others of yours that I listened to, um, I said to you before the show began, you don't make it easy on yourself. You know, like it, I, when I read the lyrics before I heard them sung, I go, I don't even know how, the, like I, sometimes you see song, uh, the lyrics and you, you can kind of hear the melody as you read it. You don't with this song uh, and some of the others, what uh, influences your lyric writing? When I heard things like Dean Friedman has a great song called Lydia and I have the piano here so I should play a little bit of it but there's a line like when he says um, Lydia keeps her toothbrush in my apartment and she never complains well hardly ever that well hardly ever <clears throat> for me you, you know what the narrative or where it's going now mm -hmm. with that one little well hardly ever and I was always so taken with Paul Simon, Joni Mitchell, those kind of lyrics that seem to, they seem to run on and run on. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, if you took it away, you, you kind of lose the whole, you know what I mean? Rather than just be concise for the sake of being concise in AAAB format, with a bit of a run on lyric, when you just forget iambic pentameter for a second, you, you find something else. You can be a little bit more tongue-in-cheek, I find. But I totally get what you mean, Mike. I, I know they, it probably looks like an English essay sometimes. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I like it, you know, because it's a, it's a challenge and it's, uh, it, it, you know, it, it creates a, a greater world to dive into. 
like John Prine writes very atypical lyrics and, and topics. And I, I really appreciate people who, who go that way. You know, uh, you talked about open mics or, you know, where people get up and, and play. And even sometimes when they're great musicians, they don't really challenge themselves lyrically. Mm. So it's nice to see people who are musically talented to also challenge themselves lyrically to really, you know, push both sides of it. Sure. sure. There uh, is a lot of words to the song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just going, wow, there's a... Oh, it's did that start at the same time as your, your music writing, or like did music and lyrics go hand in hand, or was there a did one develop a little, at a, a different pace than another, and were you influenced musically by this artist, but lyrically by this artist, or was it hand in hand? It was kind of a combination of both. So when I was in school, when I was in high school, English was my best subject, because it's where I could bullshit and get away with it. Whereas like <laughs> mathematics and business and all that stuff had to be matter of fact. And I just, I probably like you guys, I just don't use that side of my brain. I don't even simple maths. I'm dreadful with like, I'd need a calculator. So I found, I, I had a huge interest in poetry and in Ireland, like we're very lucky. We've quite a few poet laureates like mm -hmm. Oscar Wilde and Joyce and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of figured out pretty quickly. Well, I know this isn't songwriting 101, but if you take a melody and you can wrap it around something with a meter, because I, I heard Bob Dylan one time took The Bells by Edgar Allan Poe and set it to music. And I thought, oh, wow, I didn't know that those two things could marry. So in the early days, I would take like an Oscar Wilde poem and set it to a chord progression. And melody was always my weak point. So like while I was developing that, I, I had kind of, I, I probably had more of an act for lyrics than music to begin with, but I did that a lot. Like I remember going on a family holiday and bringing a book of Dylan Thomas poems and in the mm. late evenings, I'd kind of wrap a chord progression around them. Um, Don't go gently into that good night, you know, all that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. that was, that was how I experimented with songwriting when I was very young, like 14 or 15, that kind of thing. What a great what a great exercise, you know, as a songwriter, because, you know, when you, uh, so many people, people want to do lyrics and melodies, and some people are great at melodies, some people are great at lyrics, and it, being great at both is actually a challenge. I mean, you know, the, that's, why, that's why there's like a lot of two great songwriters for all that American songwriting. But to take like a, a poem that is kind of accepted as being a great work of art and then trying to put some music to it. Like, what a great way of exploring, like forcing yourself to work with tools that you're not familiar with, you know? Yeah. It's a great idea. And it's tricky, too, because if you if you take the principle of it, so like I was saying something like, and I'll just do like a line, but you take something like Do Not Go Gently, so it's got to be minor because it's about death. Like, do not go gently into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. So that kind of thing. So you think, all right, but then you have to challenge yourself and say, am I using enough chords or um, is the melody just like, da, 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 which can happen too, because when you're reading, <laughs> it tends to be like, rage, rage against the dying of the, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's not actually a melody. It's just a rhythm. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Like Philip Glass would love it. But <laughs> Else. <laughs> yeah, sing along with Philip Glass. <laughs> <laughs> See, dude, no. no one ever does Philip Glass covers. I don't know why. It's uh, I know. 
It's unfortunate. So now, are are a lot of your songs story songs? Because this song that's coming up is kind of a story song, it seems. Yeah, that one is particularly, like Your Little Corner of the Moon was, the way I explain it is it's like a series of bad dates or cringeworthy moments. There's a program in Ireland called First Dates, and that's exactly what it is. It documents a couple who don't know each other going on a first date for the first time. And the song opens with the line, if there's seven wonders in this world, then you must be the eighth. She said, I only ordered rice. Now it seems there's cheese here on my plate. So straight away, the guy's obviously goofy. He's trying to be suave and comes Mm -hmm. off cheesy and all this type of stuff. And um, to me, like that kind of sets up, well, here's, here's who you have. Here's like the gawky kind of Woody Allen character. And here's your Susan Sarandon or your um, Diane Keating or whatever. Um, and that, that's kind of how it unfolds. And then it's like a classic heartbreak thing, you know. So how did, what is the, the genesis of this particular song? How did it start? Was it, did it start lyrically or musically? Or how did it, where did it come from? So that line, if there are seven wonders in this world, then you must be the eighth. That was what came first. And I had that little chord progression and I thought... How fucking shit. You can't, you can't write that in a song. But then I thought, well, maybe I can write it in a song if the person who he says it to says, that's so ridiculously cheesy. Like, that's the way I'll get away with getting this lyric into a song. And then I just kind of wrapped it around that. Like, well, where would that go? Like, why, why would he say that? And why would she say that back? And then detailed the, the prologue. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What happened? How'd it go? Um, and like there, in it, there's little cheesy references to Poe. Like it was late September, I recall. There was gold beneath our feet. You know what I mean? Um, that's like you, the poetic phase of the love affair, I guess. <laughs> was there a lot of editing uh, when you were writing a song? It, with, with that one, there was. With that, it had no middle eight. And um, it was all, like you were saying, it's very wordy. And then I remember when I went to record it, I thought, okay, it needs something. So I put in that... Um, which is just again like going up and up and up and up um just because it kind of it needed something to take away from that constant repetitive verse chorus verse chorus thing i thought so Mm. and then the, the, the recording of it so you 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 so you started with this lyrical idea and then the you just uh, matched music to it. Uh, you wrote it on a piano, I, I take. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That's pretty much the way I do most writing. So. Uh, oh okay. Yeah. And then the recording you brought. You did you play with others or did you bring it into someone or how? What was the process of getting it finished? Christmas of 2020. There's a group called Thornton Pianos. They're one of the oldest piano suppliers and repair people in mm-hmm. Ireland, I think. And they were doing this series called the Superior Sessions and they asked me to do two tracks for it. So I did that one, Your Little Corner of the Moon, and another song called Since Baby Went Away. And I just liked the way they captured the, because like some of my favorite songwriters are solo piano singer songwriters like Barry Manilow, Randy Newman and that kind of thing. And I just really liked that. So I thought, okay, I'd love to make a whole record, like, well, like an EP, like a five track EP, like this. So I approached the guy's, again and said could we add three more songs to those two that we did so they just set up well the piano was obviously there but they just mic'd up the piano in the showroom and they recorded three more songs and then that became the ep 
Awesome. That worked out yeah. well. Yeah, that, yeah. And that's and that's the, the the video too, I guess. That's exactly documenting it. it. Yeah. Yep. What a great way of doing it. You know, you don't have to be super fancy sometimes. Well, for those songs, particularly Phil, you know, like all, I, I felt that all they needed was just the voice and piano. And um, and it was, yeah, I needed to meet a contractual obligation of an EP. So, yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a deadline. No, 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 it helps. Yeah, big time. And so uh, this EP uh, was... I guess it was a planned release, like you had this idea for it, uh, but it's not the same as uh, previous releases where it was a bit, the songs were a bit more complicated or had more uh, instrumentation to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, that is not necessarily the direction you're headed. It just was the opportunity presented itself. Is that I, right? I think at the time, because remote recording was such a big thing, because you couldn't have more than five people in one <laughs> phone booth. You know? right, yeah. Uh, I think that was part of it too, that I knew I could do just piano and myself and no one else had to be in the room. So I, it was kind of necessity being the mother of invention again. You know, I needed to put out a record and there wasn't, you couldn't get a rehearsal space for love nor money because with COVID rules, they either weren't open or you couldn't have more than two people in them. So there was no way to, right. to rehearse the record. So it just became a solo piano one. So it kind of just happened out of necessity, really, more than anything. Nice. All right. Well, um, why don't we take a listen to it and then we'll uh, talk about it once we're done. Uh, wait, before we get into it, is there any part of it that we should note in particular, something that you, you really were happy with or that uh, is a, a cool thing at your... You want us to note? Well, well, when you come out of the middle eight, so that it moves, it's in D major and it moves to A. So once you have that kind of climbing thing, um, there's like a little, I call it the weepy chord, where <laughs> it goes like, for, it's, a, it's a B flat seven, B flat dominant seven to an A7. And I, I think that kind of sets it up like kind of a wah, 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 wah. <laughs> you know, So you know, whatever's coming up next yeah. isn't going to be great. You know? <laughs> You're not going to have a laugh there. All right. Yeah, they, All right yeah, all right, here we go. If there are seven wonders in this world, then you must be the eighth. She said I only ordered rice Now it seems there's cheese here on my plate I said I guess that's not the kind of thing That you'd hear on a first date But if I didn't say it now I never will She had the kind of eyes that poets From Alaska write about that could freeze you with one glance But that you'd burn inside without And as her feet would glide down Main Street All the boys would scream and shout I hope there's someone out there screaming for her still And all the girls eat mashed potatoes As I swallow humble pie problem shared is a problem still I don't need to tell you why Her cage door's standing open But she won't rest until she flies To her little corner of the moon 
It was late September, I recall. There was gold beneath our feet. And by circumstance, I learned to dance in her arms out in the street. And the fragrance of her hair gave off the taste of something sweet. I'd have stayed right there forever if I could. She said that love is like a lottery. As the red lights fade to blue, I don't know what it is I'm searching for, but tonight perhaps it's you. Still, I don't want the kind of heart that sticks to my shirt sleeves like glue. And then she kissed me like she thought I understood that all the girls eat mashed potatoes as I swallow humble pie. Problem shared is a problem still. I don't need to tell you why. Her cage door's standing open, but she won't rest until she flies to her little corner of the moon. I wanted to save from the time we started. Sighed and said, "Think of us as passing ships that were never meant to sail. There's such a high price for the quiet life, and my freedom's not for sale. I'm like a wild wind that can't reduce itself to a passing summer gale. If this were any other time for you, I would." It's only three weeks since she left, but there's a cold chill in the air. There's not a trace of her on Main Street, but I still see her everywhere. And Mama told me she'll come back, son, if you just act like you don't care. Still, I know this time goodbye meant bye for good. All the girls eating mashed potatoes as I swallow humble pie. A problem shared is a problem still. I don't need to tell you why. But every night it seems in my wildest dreams it is always she and I in her little corner of the moon. What a great song. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. So, uh, Michael, uh, what are your thoughts? Um, I, it's, it's interesting. Oh, well, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, a lovely song um, that the, the title line, 
doesn't rhyme with anything else, and it's kind of neat. And that's, you know, sometimes things rhyme with throughout the song, and sometimes don't. The the choice of when to do that, and uh, yeah, I just uh, I found it really interesting the uh, the way that the mood of it changes as well from being fairly uh, not comic, but you know, like an ob an observation to something that is fairly heartfelt. So I, I like that that like kind of the the journey that it went on, and. Uh, yeah, very very melodic for something that when you read the lyrics, you go, I don't I don't see the melody there, <laughs> I don't even see the rhymes. But then when you hear it, it all seems to make sense. So I think that's really cool. Oh, thanks, Mike. What's so interesting is in your verses because you have sort of um, you know two verse chorus, two verses chorus um, structure, is at the end line of your verse, it doesn't like you almost expect it to go down and resolve, but it doesn't. It's sort of, it kind of goes up. So it's almost unresolved, which I thought was really kind of neat because I, I was expecting it to go, um, say it now, but it never will. Da, 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 da. But it doesn't do that. It actually kind of goes up, which is a really neat thing to do because it's that whole sort of expectation thing and playing with expectations and, um, you know. That, yeah, that's it's fun. Okay, I think it does every second time. So it's like, but then, I think like the next, like usually before going into the chorus, it does. But that's interesting. I, both of what you guys said, it's funny, I never noticed until you pointed it out. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, you'll never does. hear it again the same way. The, um, <laughs> whereas the, the, the key line in your chorus, you know, to a little corner of the moon does kind of resolve. It does kind of that, does the da 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 da. Which oh, is, like the tonic, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, that's uh, what you do on your key line, you know, and whether or not you decide it's a key line before you sing it, before you strike it, or, you know, after you've played it and you kind of go, oh, I guess that's what the name of the song is, you know. Sure, um, sure. But it's interesting how, how clearly that was sort of the difference between them. Um, but, yeah, just a wonderfully open and melodically interesting um but like it, like sometimes there's people who have lots of lyrics and it feels like there's a lot of lyrics, you know, and you're just kind of da, 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 and stuff doesn't scan well. They're jamming it in because they yeah. want to say something, you know, and sure. this never felt that way. This felt very, um, so you, like you had your, your chords and your melody and then you're writing your verses on those chords and melodies. Yeah. Like a lot of it happened all at once. So with with something like that, I, I could never have imagined it being up tempo because it's mm. just too there's too it would be like cabaret. There's too much going on. But it's funny that Mike, you mentioned John Prion earlier on, and with the chorus, I love John. John did this brilliantly where he would take something that seemed really throwaway, like um, Charlie bought some popcorn, Billy bought a car, someone mm. almost bought the farm, but they didn't go that far, and things shut down at midnight. At least around here they do, because we all reside on the block inside of 23 Skidoo. I love, but that used to break my heart because it was like these really mundane things set to the backdrop of something really sad. And so a line like, and the original line was, all the girls do the mashed potato while I right. swallow humble pie, like the dance, the mashed potato. Yeah, but yeah. I thought that was a bit too comic. Um, 
But all the girls eat mashed potatoes and I swallow humble pie. Um, a problem shared is a problem still. You know, like, yeah. I, like, I like play on words like that. Like that Yeah, and, and there's a, a few things like uh, goodbye meant bye for good and yeah. things like that. Yeah, for sure. There's, uh, and I, it made me think, yeah, I, I guess that's what I, I was talking about is that it does, like there's, the wordplay is suggesting comedy in, and, and there are moments of that, but the overall story is not. It's a rather sad story of looking at places where, you know, almost met or could have been and, you know, well, we, we didn't get together or, or this is a love that didn't happen or something, but it's expressed in, in, in sometimes whimsical ways or clever ways, but the, uh, the emotion of it gets through that. So you have, you know, those two layers of it, I suppose. And, and yeah, and and that's the whole thing about comedy tragedy, isn't it? Like when you think of, I remember Groucho Marx was on William Buckley's program and he's having a go at Groucho and Groucho says, well, I'm effectively just a very sad man. And you think Groucho Marx is the absolute face of comedy. And yet behind mm -hmm. all of it, there's this very broken, very fractured person. And I think that's everybody. So if if there isn't a little bit of comedy and tragedy and vice versa, um, like, I'm always worried about sounding really saccharine, you know, mm -hmm. which I think I do most of the time. <laughs> so uh, when, when you guys say nice things like that, it makes me feel a hell of a lot better about myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's the comedy that is the part that breaks your heart. Because if you tell a sad story, sad story, sad story, you go, OK, I, I get you're, you're sad. But when you're putting on a brave face and the sadness leaks through all the, 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 the front, that's yeah. where it's more effective. There's a, a, a country singer, uh, Brandy Clark, who writes, I think, brilliant songs and uh there's one song where she's talking and i think this this when you talked about throwaway lines uh talking about the waitress who's out, out back having a smoke and she tries not to bite her nails and like why is that detail there but it's so evocative because she tries not to so you know she is biting her nails but yeah. you know what does it say about her she's trying like in that one line and i i, I it's things like that that's you know they may take a few extra syllables to say, but they say so much more than if she's just, you know, she's outside having a cigarette. Yeah. Okay, well, who doesn't have, you know, people who smoke have cigarettes, but if she's out there trying not to bite her nails, that says so much more. Absolutely. And that stuff makes my eyes light up, do you know what I mean? And I often wonder from a listener's perspective, does anybody give a shit? <laughs> like, you know, um, but for me, like Jim, Jim Croce had some great ones. Like, oh, yeah. You know, Rapid Roy, that stock car boy, he's too much to believe. He's always got an extra pack of cigarettes rolled up in his T-shirt sleeve. He's got a tattoo on his arm that says baby and another one that just says hey. But every Sunday afternoon, he's a dirt track demon in a 57 Chevrolet. And that, it's like talking about James Dean or something, you know, mm -hmm. it's so good. Yeah, yeah, being able to paint a picture, I mean, that's, not everyone can do that. It's it's a it's a it's a talent, you know, and it's um, you know it's um, no maybe maybe on my on my song channel I should challenge I should try to to make more use of those kinds of things because I tend to because when you write music first you tend to write the lyrics to fit to kind of scan right mm -hmm. sure. so you so that kind of edits what you're gonna do because. You've kind of got that scan, you know, and you know how the how the lines worked out. So maybe in this um, somewhat amorphous st uh, state that my challenge song is, uh, I can try to do something a bit more clever, a bit more clever, yeah. clever, as they say. Well, clever, yeah. 
But yeah, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to rhyme. There's a, there's a, I think, a great uh, American band, the Drive By Truckers, and they're very good about not needing to rhyme when it doesn't feel like they need to rhyme, you know. And uh, they, they managed to, like, I think, like John Prine, they they get across some really great stories and, and evocations, like that Jim Croce song you were just talking about. For sure. Yeah. I also, I think if you have a song which doesn't rhyme, but then when things do rhyme, they stand out that much more. And I think those key concepts, those key phrases can be just, um, can really just jump off the page because there is that difference, that contrast between stuff that doesn't rhyme and suddenly there is something that kind of rhymes, you know, it can be that little oh, completely. detail, mm. you know. Completely, yeah. Oh, I do have to ask you, though, because it did strike me. How many poets, I don't know any Alaskan poets, but you say you, you know poetry. Are, are there uh, a, f- a few Alaskan poets? I do, I, <laughs> the only reason I said it was um, that could freeze you with one, because I like the word freeze in yeah, Alaska. Yeah. That, that was the only reason. But like, oh, okay. I, th- um, I didn't know if you were referencing a, a poet or not. Farley Mowat, Alaskan? No. No? I, I, I don't know, was it Philip Larkin or somebody who... What's that poem? I'm going out now and I may be some time. Oh, but from the like, uh, Antarctic uh, expedition. Yeah, the Scott exactly. expedition. Yeah. yeah. Oh, such I understated mean, Britishness. I know. <laughs> I may be some time. Yeah, yeah. I'm going out to die like with, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So what's, um, what's coming up next for you? Well, it's it's amazing because for so you get so used to nothing, 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 and the promise of something, and then nothing with the pandemic, and now everything's kind of flourishing again. So, on the second of June, um, I'm taking part in a concert in Boston for Harry Chapin. So it's to mark oh, Harry. I think Harry's forty third or forty fourth anniversary, and it's in benefit of Why Hunger. So it's taking place in Boston City Winery on the 2nd of June. And there's a whole host of other artists, Emily Sanger, um, Doug DeJoe, some great, great performers. And we're all going to be doing Harry songs. And all the money from the tickets goes towards um, Why Hunger, which is the charity that Harry co-founded. And uh, separate to that, um, I've got a lot of summer concerts and festivals in Ireland. I mentioned Dean Friedman earlier. Myself and Dean Friedman are doing a concert in Dublin, um, in Oris Cronon on the 17th of July. So really looking forward to that too. But... Yeah, lots, lots of summer concerts. Wow, and, uh And if people want to find out more about what you're up to, what is the best social media way to find you? I suppose Facebook, which is Colin Gavin Music, or Instagram, just Colin Gavin. And on Instagram, I've got the little blue verified tick, so you know it's me and not some painter oh, from Des Moines talking to you. Oh, uh, not all those fake Colin Gavins out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, all, all two of them. <laughs> Well, I hear the band, and it means that's all the time we have tonight on Song Talk Radio. We'd like to thank our guest, Colm. Thanks so much for being on the show. You were awesome. Really oh, Phil, thanks so much. And Mike, thank you as well. It was gorgeous hearing your lovely words, and it was great to chat with you. you too. And I hope you can come back sometime, because we... I hope so. We'd love to pick your brain even more. That'd be brilliant. Thanks so much, guys. So don't forget, uh, everyone out there in Radio Land, we want to hear from you. So send us your comments on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to at songtalkradio, or send us an email to feedback at songtalk.ca. If you're listening on the podcast stream, why not check out our YouTube channel for live performance videos and full episodes? Now that we're all virtual, we've been virtual for a long time. And if you're on YouTube, you should have subscribed by now. Subscribe today to the Song Talk Radio podcast on your favorite 
podcast provider. And don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter at songtalk.ca. You can find the links to all the products, books, and web services we mentioned here on the show on the resources page and wherever you are in the world. Why don't you join us online via Zoom for the next Song Talk Meetup. Free to join on meetup.com and free to attend. Stop by songtalk.ca for the link. But most of all, we'd like to thank you, the home listener. You can follow uh, Michael at... No, you can't really, actually. But you can check out my photos on Instagram at Proudfoot420. That's that's it. That's that's so far. That's as far as I'm willing to go. <laughs> and Colm, how do people get uh, more of you? So Instagram, Colm Gavin, or Colm Gavin Music on Facebook. One or the other is usually the best port of call. Awesome. And uh, you can get more of me at philemery.ca. And stop by the website at songtalk.ca to past past shows and find out how you can be a guest. Stay safe, everyone. Keep on writing. Good night. Good night.